Hey, 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 everybody. Yeah, yeah, we're late. Yeah, no, I know, we're supposed to be a couple of days. It was a couple of days plus a couple more, a couple more, and here we go. But look, you know, uh, Central had some programs they were working on. LGBT had a, uh, uh, the Mo had some programs that they were working on. Uh, we had a conference that we were working on, and this this little thing called the election that won't go away <laughs> happened. So took us a little bit, but we're back for part two of our LGBT History Month episode. Thank you all for listening to the first part. I got a lot of messages, um, and here's part two. Let's get at it. So let's talk diversity. We are three identity centers. Sitting at the intersection. Upperman African American Cultural Center. Mohan Schultz LGBTQA Resource Office. And Centro Hispano. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm Brooke. I'm Edel. I'm Liliana. I'm Manny. I'm Dion, and we're at the intersections. Where did we leave off? 70s? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, were, we, were, we were in the 70s. Oh, let's, we got to bring her back in. Boom, chop, pow, 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 pow. <laughs> so in 79, they did a march on Washington um, for LGBT rights. And that, I believe that was the first march on, official like march on Washington. And then we get into the 80s, which is the AIDS crisis. Um, and so, which is another kind of dark time for LGBT folks. And what we know about the AIDS crisis, right? I don't know. I mean, it to me, it feels like another opportunity to kind of throw out all of this ridiculous propaganda against LGBT folks, right? Yes. Um, and so essentially what happened is that there were diseases going around the LGBT community, really hitting hard gay men and people of color. And really nobody was doing anything about it. There was not a lot of research being done. It, everybody was just like ignoring it and acting like it wasn't happening except for folks within within the gay community, within the LGBT community. And so it was a really, really difficult time. Family members didn't want to be around um, their LGBT uh, loved ones. They weren't, I mean, people were dying in hospitals alone because their partners weren't allowed to come in and visit. Um, and so it was just this really terrible, dark time for a lot of LGBT folks. And honestly, that's where a lot of this like push for this like LGBT folks are disgusting and it's immoral and it's wrong. And this is the way that God is punishing gay people. I mean, there was a lot of that talk going on yeah. and there, I mean, this is the eighties, like this isn't that long ago. This is like, our parents went through this, our parents lived through this. And so a lot of that kind of rhetoric that they were told over and over and over again about how immoral and sick and wrong and terrible gay and lesbian people are, you know, like it's hard to kind of move away from that. But it's the plight of individual boys and girls which worries me most. Too often, our children don't get the education they need, the education they deserve. Children who need to be taught to respect traditional moral values are being taught that they have an inalienable right to be gay. All of those children are being cheated of a sound start in life. Yes, cheated. It took a lot to be able to, I mean, we still, I mean, uh, HIV AIDS is still something that goes around that is, is um, something that's talked about and within the LGBT community. I mean, it still greatly affects the LGBT community. There's essentially a, an entire generation of gay men that are not here because of the lack of 
support and the lack of research and the lack of help within, you know, when this AIDS crisis hit. And what there were some conversations going around at the start of COVID-19 that this seems eerily familiar. There are, there seems to be a lack of people trusting science and a lack of mm-hmm. people doing the bare minimum and a lack of information um, and what, oh, you know, we're not doing anything about it, right? A lack of response from the government. And so it seems familiar to a lot of folks who have already been through the AIDS crisis. I can totally see the parallel is just uh, leaving people basically to die. And we're seeing that with the numbers today. Uh, but that's, uh, that's where my mind goes. I also uh, I immediately went into uh, thinking of how that might be affecting today uh, blood donation. I am a blood donor. Uh, I've been a blood donor for a number of years. I started when my mother was diagnosed with cancer and she had to be um, had to have significant amounts of blood, you know, pumped into her system. So uh, at that point, I've been a blood donor for as long as I can remember. But I know that today, 2020, we're still having gates keeping, you know, uh, the gay population from donating, from participating in that, and just some ridiculous uh, waiting times. I know that as of 2020, I think is the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, Brooke, that... um, gay men can actually donate and now they're having I guess with coronavirus uh, the wait time is a little bit less but they still have to do some amazing just ridiculous uh, wait time for donations. Yeah so it's all about how frequent was your last sexual partner. <laughs> so oh for men, men, ask great people how, how, how recent was their last sexual partner. <laughs> so and with I mean we know <laughs> that with all the testing that blood has to go through. I mean, it is still, it's, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Manny, I feel like you've had something to say for a minute. Oh, no, I was just saying, like, when you're talking about the 80s, um, I see the parallels again, like the 50s as idyllic time is perfect. And then we get through all the social movements, social movements, we get to law and order with Nixon, we get the crisis in Iran with Jimmy Carter, then we get to Reagan, and he's like a shining city on a hill. For those who've abandoned hope, We'll restore hope and we'll welcome them into a great national crusade to make America great again. Kind of go back to what America needed to be. And that's when you see these people being pushed out to the margin. That's when you see, uh, you know, gentrification kick in heavily. Um, and then we come flash forward to 2020 and we're trying to make things great again. And then we're seeing another like exclusion of people. So anytime we're trying to go back to quote unquote, like the core of America, why is it that we keep, why is it inherently exclusionary? Unless we're saying that America is, inha- is inherently exclusionary at its core. But I mean, that's, oh, that's, oh. Something, that's something we can just like, I can, I can put out there. I'm, a, I'm not saying that. I'm saying something we can, you know, chew on perhaps um you're gonna throw it out there for people to marinate on exactly i think this podcast is about you know thinking getting you thinking so thought-provoking questions are um important you know these aren't jokes these are thoughts these are things that make you say i think that we need to consider people like this isn't my america well then how come every time we bring up like this kind of idea of america there seem to be these parallels it, it is interesting, and, and I appreciate your input on that, because I do think you're drawing some very interesting parallels and asking some very interesting questions. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. 
and I, ooh. <laughs> as, as the kids say these days, right? As the kids say, we want to honor all of our young people. Uh, so now what's so interesting is I am a 80s baby, right? I grew up in the 80s. So I can remember HIV and AIDS was scary as hell. It was scary to live in that. It's also the era of crack epidemic and just say no. Just say no. So like we also had like all of that was going on at the same time. And maybe, and so like watching, um, watching black men specifically die um, in the church, in, even in rural South Carolina was, was rough, was rough. And I, I don't, and like, you know, watching people become pariah, again, like they were already dealing with stigma. But to watch people who you saw on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, some of them were your pastors. Some of them were your cousins. Some of them were your church members. That, you know, like they were, they were in charge of requires. And then to wake up some mornings and to realize that they had passed because we did not know how to handle HIV, AIDS, and we didn't have the compassion that we should have was was it is hard to detox from as you i mean as you talk about it brooke like it was a it's a very hard period to come out of and to think um and to i think we've come a very i know that i have traveled a distance to become much more radically inclusive and progressive um given that i can remember coming out of that period that's what i would say about my own kind of like story and do you remember when Magic Johnson came out and it was like oh yeah thing yeah thing it was like the talk but what did we learn from Magic Johnson we learned that okay you can live with it money matters because money matters we got color we got all this stuff but you know what the biggest difference is he's got the money he's got the money money. you're right fix it and I was like I think to me that was the biggest turning point of oh snap and doesn't this sound familiar? Okay, the it, the virus can get me, but yeah. if I get money, I got right. access. Access, and access. That is difference. And because I remember that was the conversation, and the community was shook. They're like, "Oh my god, magic!" Like, <laughs> it's like yeah. so King is going down. Like, you know what I mean? Like to this day, that's what I still think about when I think about like what was the most shocking person that you learned that had AIDS, and I was like, Magic, because he's still around. And then we, well, we had, Brooke hadn't talked about it, but we get to this period where original language around DL, download, which was actually meant to describe relationships outside of, like, outside of your main relationship, ends up becoming the language to describe Black men who are having sex with other men, or men having sex with other men. So, like, you get to what we call the DL period. (laughs) And then, like, all, all research says that the reason that Black women are infected, not, I, that, it doesn't say it, but because CDC said this is not true, but the research, people start going, well, the reason that Black women have HIV has a lot to do with Black men who are bi or gay who cannot come out of the closet. And so the, the trauma and homophobia of being gay means that that's how y'all got HIV. Like, so it's this whole big, awful, awful narrative that really kind of on some level, like, I think we're just getting to the place where we can have really 
decent dialogue without attacking, without attaching HIV and AIDS to one segment of the population. <laughs> okay, bro, we give it back to you. Pow, 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 pow. <laughs> No, 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 I just didn't say, um, you know, Magic Johnson, I think all that brings us to the 90s, right? Um, so moving along, the 90s uh, was not a super great time either for us. This was Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Don't uh, So this was the period of like, sure, all right, we'll say that maybe sometimes pe gay people exist, but you're not going to talk about it. Right, um, we're going to be blind to it. Yeah, so, so this was the Don't Ask, Don't Tell. This was also when the Defensive Marriage Act was signed, which said that marriage was only between a man and a woman. So um, the 90s was not a particularly great time for us. Um, and that's with, you know, Bill Clinton in the White House signing both wow. laws. Yeah, where is the threat? I mean, the people that are like being so conscious and so deliberate about the details of the no, you can't and you should not, I mean, to me, that just says a lot about their own insecurities, and I'm just going to say it. So I think, and we're pinpointing some very specific people here, uh, white men in power. There is some kind of fuel uh, feeding that fire of insecurity and fear of self, maybe. See, fear, uh, and not specifically of, a in, of an individual self, but of self, environment, of self, community, uh, of whatever it may be, but just the fear of of the self, no doubt. I mean, I think it kind of, I always go back to the Tony, Tony Morrison quote, where she kind of talks about, "Are you really strong if you're only on the backs of like other people?" There you um, go. Like, mm -hmm. like they, I think they realize, think in orientation, they realize, oh, we're on a house of cards, and <laughs> that if you pull this one card out, we really have nothing. They, so to keep yourself up, you must bring others down. Yeah, it's like they, <laughs> they have, they, they're, like, they get into the situation, they're like, oh, it's built on this, it's built on this, it's built on this. And it's like, why well, I got to keep this up. Because I think just that human fear of like losing something and like thinking that you're not going to be able to persevere through it, it's just like, it just, that's, the, that's just constant in the back of their minds. That's why they need their guns. It's why they need to be in charge and in power and to, have, and to say what they say. Uh, it's, it's, that, it's that fear of really, again like, again, like a house of cards. Like, this is not actually anything dirty oh, and, and the other thing is like it limits it limits the possibilities for when it limits the possibilities for those who are actually in the box right i definitely think in these periods right there was like as you talked about the lavender scare i think about how often we have policed children's behaviors and so and the possibilities that children have whether gay or straight right the fact that we, like, I, there's an activist out of um, D.C., Dana White. I think his name is Dana White. Or their name is Dana White. And Dana argued on his Twitter one day, on their Twitter one day, that their family would not allow them to participate in activities that were deemed feminine because they were trying to hold them back. They didn't want them to be seen as something, right? And so on some level, like, this box of masculinity was being built for them that denied them the possibilities of themselves. And like really who would hurt was the child who could not be, who could not begin the journey of like going to where they were supposed to go. And that's kind of, that's the, that's the whole problem with these effing boxes. Like 
the problem with these boxes is that true freedom never wants to box you in. True freedom allows you to describe yourself. And if you pick up a name, if you name yourself or call yourself something, it's not the only name you get to call yourself, right? And I could, you know, theologically, like the, the, God doesn't just call God's self Yahweh. God calls God's self also Emmanuel. God calls God's self Holy Ghost. Like God gets to name God's self all the time. And given that God gives us the same freedom that God gives God's self, why do we, why do we have to be in one box? We, just, we get to decide all of the ways in which we come. And I do think that's, a, that's the beauty of like what LGBT does for all of us, right? Okay, keep going. Okay, bam, 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 bam. No, no, because I'm actually, I'm going to like jump on that for a minute because I think that, I think what we do, especially with kids is like you said, like putting, putting people in a box. We're told really quickly, like what's okay, what's not okay. Um, you know, when you have little five-year-olds coming home and you're asking your little five-year-old, oh, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? Or anytime, you know, kids are, the genders are mixing. It's like, oh, do you, well, do you like her? Or do you like him? I mean, we're putting this on a five and six-year-old. Like, they don't know what this means. But like, that's how, that's how deep this permeates is that we are putting sexuality onto these five and six-year-old kids. And so they know right away that like, well, I'm supposed to like girls or I'm supposed to like boys. We're policing how they're dressing, right? Like, well, boys don't wear that or girls don't wear that or you need to do this or you need to do that because girls can't do that and boys can't do that. You know, we start from such a young age telling kids what they can and can't do. And then once kids finally get to a point and a lot of them, it is in college, right? Like we see it on college campuses where students are finally able to express themselves how they want to express themselves. And, you know, this is like the first place for a lot of students to be able to do that. And then once they go home, they have to like go back in the closet, right? Or they have to wear different clothes than they've been wearing for the last six months because they know that their parents are not going to be cool with that. And so like to what you said, Sean, like, you know, once we liberate that for LGBT folks, we liberate it for everybody. So everybody can do whatever they want to do and express themselves how they want to express themselves. And I don't understand, you know, I feel like sometimes we get into this, like, we're afraid of allowing sexuality and gender to be fluid, right? We know sexuality and gender is fluid. So why are we trying to put people in these boxes that don't allow them to kind of shift and move and change with you know, what they're experiencing at that time in their life, right? Right. But like you're saying, like, so like we, five, six year old, oh, I got a boyfriend, got a girlfriend, but showing a couple of characters on TV kiss. You're propaganda! They're going to die! They're agenda! But you just, okay, all right, fine. Yeah, we can't, uh, we can't have children's books that show diverse families and show families with, you know, two moms or two dads or, just two uh -huh. people that love each other, right? Because now we're pushing, we're pushing this queer agenda, uh, which I have yet to see this agenda that we keep being told that we're- The queers don't have an agenda? It's, it's literally my job, and I don't know what this agenda everybody's talking about. Like, I don't think I'm on the listserv. Well, you need to, well, we, the black people are supposed to, we have meetings apparently, so. I never get invited to any of the meetings. <laughs> I don't know if Sean does. Uh, well, you know, I'm only, I'm only 70% black, so I have to, 
I got to be real careful which ones I can get invited <laughs> to. You only go to out of the meet at seven here. So the only reason I, I I think that lift every if you can sing lift every voice and sing at least one verse, you get you get to come to the meeting. I think, but that's I, that's all I got. That's all I got. So I know y'all have a queer agenda, um, and it is to ramble with our mess our kids up and to make us think about you know two moms and two dads <laughs> together. But again, like this is also a country that just got used to putting a black and white couple on television, right? Like you don't see. <laughs> so it's all been ridiculous for a very long time. It's yes. <laughs> yes. So I mean, think about like I think about something that it wasn't until I was here that I asked my I had to really ask myself sitting next to a Dell shop, you go and I see all I'm seeing all these Latinx kids come through the center. I'm like, okay, um, what do Latinx kids watch on television? I'm talking about beyond Telemundo. Like, mm -hmm. what are the images that we all get to share in together? And I don't, I think that on some level, a lot of this oh, Lord. stuff, excuse right. me, stuff is limited. Now I got to add a whole bleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brooke, like, I think you're right. Like, I don't know. I do think we're stuck somewhere in the middle of romanticizing like a 1955 Americana with like a contemporary Gap t-shirt. But that 1950s America doesn't include anybody. It doesn't include <laughs> anybody on this, on this podcast. <laughs> Unless we're to help. Like we could, I mean, me and Manny might be able to be a butler on this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I, can be, I can be a little butler. We could, I could, I could probably clean up a little outside of something. You know, I don't know. <laughs> this is getting messy. This is getting messy now. All right. All right. We got <laughs> to move on to the 2000s, y'all. We're not done yet. Boom, pow, 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 pow. Bam. <laughs> and we're back to the early 2000s. Um, late 90s, early 2000s is when we start to see like celebrities starting to come out of the closet. So we start to see people be more vocal about their their sexuality. Um, and in the early 2000s, the states, um, even though the Defense of Marriage Act has been signed like at, for the federal government, states start to kind of go back on that and say, no, nah, we don't we don't we're not OK with that. Um, and so the states start to come up and say, like, no, like in our state, you can get married. So that's the early 2000s. And then in 07, there was a presidential forum that was focused just on LGBT issues. And all of the presidential candidates were invited and all of the Republican candidates declined. And uh, so, there, so there was a forum that happened with six uh, Democratic nominees. But in that, and that's 07. Like, this is not that long ago. Um, so just kind of throwing that out there. In 2008, I don't know if any of you all remember Prop 8. I was in Utah during Prop 8. Proposition 8, or Prop 8, was a California ballot proposition and state constitutional amendment that was created to prevent same-sex couples from getting married. So in terms of equity and inclusion, Prop 8. Bad idea. So so Prop 8 was in California, and um, the Mormon church had a, a lot of pull, I guess, in California. There are a lot of Mormon members of the of the Mormon church in California and the church was very open about what they thought about Prop 8. 
they were for Prop 8. They wanted marriage to stay between a man and a woman. And they were, and so in Utah, it was a really big deal because there are a lot of Mormon members in Utah as well. And so I very distinctly remember Prop 8 and, and unfortunately Prop 8 passing saying that marriage in California was going to stay between, was going to be between a man and a woman. And so that was a huge deal. Um, in 2009, so at this point we have Barack Obama in the office and he gave some coverage for uh, same-sex couples, for federal same-sex couples. Um, he did not give full health coverage. There were not full health benefits, but that's where we start to see benefits for same-sex couples. And that's 2009. So this is 11 years ago, you all. Like this is right around, not that long yes. ago. In 2010, Prop 8 is found to be unconstitutional, so, 20, so Prop 8 goes away, and they also repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So 2010, those two things happen, um, and then we start to move pretty quick. In 2011, the Obama administration said that they're not going to defend the Defense of Marriage Act, which, um, so basically that was kind of this, the start of this, like, okay, is this going to be able to be federally recognized? Um, and then we know that in, obviously in 2015 is when it went before the Supreme Court. And we know that they ruled in a 5-4 decision in favor of marriage equality. So that is five, like five years, y'all. Five years ago. So gay people have only been able to get married legally, federally recognized for five years. It's just not that long ago. Moving along, 2016, um, Stonewall becomes a national monument. And the trans uh, ban is lifted in the military. So in 2016, they say folks can serve, you can be transgender, be open and out, and you can serve in the military. Unfortunately, um, in 2017, the Trump administration uh, decides that that's not going to happen. And so there is another ban on trans folks serving openly in the military that goes into effect in 2019. In 2017, uh, the Civil Rights Act um, says that it's that it prohibits discrimination in work in the workplace. So you can be open and out and LGBT in the workplace. And that was the Second Circuit Court of Appeals that said that the Civil Rights Rights Act does cover LGBT folks in federal um, dis for federal discrimination. And in 2020, the Supreme Court actually upheld that decision. So it is literally just this year that it has been confirmed that folks cannot be discriminated against in the workplace for being LGBT, literally in 2020. And how long have we been a country of uh, the land of the free? Never. Depends on who you're, it depends on who you are, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's an ideal, we're working towards it. We're not. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I, mean, I think like we're somewhat more progressive because we got, we've got, I know gay people, so clearly we're we're like we're we're the progressive as possible. Mm. Well, you knew you actually knew gay people before. You just think you they weren't in a position to they, they couldn't say anything. <laughs> they couldn't be themselves. They don't even they don't even know what it's like to be themselves. Right. <laughs> right. So going back to the original conversation about being you know put in boxes, like that that's true. Like there are a lot of LGBT folks that grow up. And once they get out of the house, that is the first opportunity where they're like, who am I, right? Like the, yes. the things that a lot of folks go through in high school trying to figure out like who they are and how do you fit in with society and what does that look like? A lot of, a lot of queer folks don't go through that until they're in their 20s because that's actually the first time where they're like, 
finding out like who am I and what does this mean and how do I fit into all of this? I I mean I'm, I definitely have had students who were way it was like we had been I had I had had a relationship in terms of supporting and knowing them for at least three to five years before some of them came out to me right and I I was I mean going through safe zone training and and I haven't been through your trans training yet but like going through your safe zone training really get shed light and this is why I would say everybody needs to do safe zone even if you're struggling with how you make sense of of other people I, and I and I know that it's horrible for Brooke to train folk like that. Uh, <laughs> Brooke, Brooke, stay silent because she wants to keep that paycheck. Because <laughs> people don't understand how frustrating it is to train people who come to the territory of your area thinking that they they know more about your subject matter than you do. And ultimately, if people would just... If people would just let America be great, then we could just, (laughs) (laughs) we could just all move forward. So I do think like there is a challenge with like, there is such a challenge with this, right? In terms of like, I think that it's difficult to train folk out, but I do think that for me, like what was pivotal was figuring out like there's a lot of loss at stake coming out of a closet. There is a lot of loss. And I had not thought about what that loss looked like um, because there's nothing equivalent to it. There's no, like, and which is why we start talking about race, sexuality, and gender. There, while there are things that are similar, they're not, sometimes they're just not equivalencies to describe mm-hmm. what's at stake in any, one, in any one of the variables. But people don't like to hear that, right? So, like, people don't like to hear you know, especially, especially kind of depending on like where they fall on this, like, you know, on the riddle scale, right? Like where do you fall on this, on this level of, of support for folks? And if you're not in this supportive place, it's hard to hear that there is loss that comes with that. So, you know, when we're working with students, when we're talking with students about coming out, we talk about all of the loss that might happen. Like what, like, what are some concerns that you have? Like, who do you think is going to be in your corner? Who do you think is not going to be in your corner? And trying to work through that is difficult. That is trauma for a lot of folks. And when they do come out, um, or even prior to when they come out, right? Like even sitting here talking with students and they're like, well, I'm not sure about this person because here are the conversations that we've had previously. So I don't think that they're going to be supportive. So even though they're not out yet, they're still experiencing that rejection, right? Like they're still experiencing those things, whether they're out or not, they know their own sexuality. So that idea, I mean, they've essentially already kind of said like this person, I've lost this person. I have been rejected by this person because of Mm -hmm. what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And Brooke, you've mentioned the word support a number of times in the coming out process. And what I'm experiencing at this point with my uh, immigrant, um, friends and other women of color, you know, late 30s, um, early 40s, is that it is just now that they are finding a supportive community uh, because they're coming from countries uh, and, and environments in which the LGBT uh, community continues to just be shunned, continues to not be discussed. It is a total, total taboo. And so they really haven't had uh, the opportunity to truly look within and develop that 
Um, so I am now seeing, uh, you know, women who are now, let's say, three, four years uh, already in, into, into this country and uh, finding their footing, finding support systems, starting to navigate that and realize, my gosh, like I thought I had some, in retrospect, I'm starting to see the, I'm starting to put the dots together. Uh, but they did not have um, just the support, going back to the word that you mentioned, until now to have the freedom to even begin to think about that openly and expressing that, um, you know, to people that care and love them. Yeah. And it can be challenging too, to go yeah. from a place that's so secretive to, to kind of experiencing what it's like to be able to be somewhat open. Yeah. Right. And we, but we also need to acknowledge that even, you know, kind of no matter where you are, no matter what, you know, even if you're in the most progressive city, you still have to be aware that not everybody is in that place of support. And so for a lot of folks within the queer community, especially folks, um, you know, that are gender nonconforming, right? Places, it's, it can be scary for folks, um, even in the big cities, even where you think that things are, are way more progressive. There are, we still know that, you know, specifically like trans women of color are murdered at a rate that is astronomical. It's still to this day, and it continues to happen, you know, in progressive cities as well. And so I think also acknowledging that while we are moving in a good direction, there's still a lot of work to do. And there are still a lot of folks who um, are not, don't feel like they can be open. And there are still a lot of places that support discrimination and they, mm -hmm. you know, and it makes it difficult for folks to, to live out and open and to be you know, to be able to, to feel like they can walk around in a city holding their partner's hand, right? Okay. Something so simple as to like holding your partner's hand is really difficult for a lot of queer folks because you grow up thinking and hearing that that's not okay. And then right. you also see people getting like beaten up and murdered and, and everything else, um, you know, for something that's, that is simple as expressing affection for your, for your partner. Exactly. I know, um, I don't want to keep us too long, but when, the one thing that I will say that I learned with Brooke um, in your safe zone is, that, is, is the idea of coming out. Like, it's not, it's not a one step, like, I'm out and oh, we're done. But like, yep. having to continually doing that. I think that was something that for me, it was like, oh, that's a lot. And like, I mean, even having, if, you, if you've moved a couple of times or meet new people, it's like, you kind of get used to know what to expect, but there still has to be some kind of like, okay. So here's the thing, and not not saying like it's like you're afraid, ashamed of it, but it's like there there there's a lot of like emotion. There's a lot even though that's a little bit of like how are they gonna react? How am I gonna have to react to that reaction? And like well, where am I am I in my own development? So I imagine like if you're younger, it's different than if you're older. So mm -hmm. just like a lot. It's like I mean I think we always talk about it on this podcast like the intersection and like how layered everything is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is. It's a it's always a decision, right? Like you always kind of have to like navigate. Like, is it worth it to come out to this person? And what is that reaction going to be? I mean, even, even me, right? Like this is, I essentially out myself anytime I tell somebody what my job is. So if I don't want to out myself, then I have to like come up with some, like I work in diversity and inclusion, right? Like I have to like say this broader kind of ideas, like what my job is. Because if I say, you know, I run the LGBT center, then I know that like, it's going to be there's going to be something there, right? And I'm, I'm essentially outing myself, not saying that everybody that runs an LGBT center has to identify with, un, under the queer umbrella, but 
a lot of us, most of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot that, there's a lot that goes into it and it's a lot of mental energy to kind of be thinking through that stuff constantly. I'm just here to say, wow, there is a lot to unpack. Yeah, that's, that's a lot to think through. I guess, I guess I know we're getting closer to wrap up time. Are there things, resources that any of each of you want to share that people can check out on their own time um, that might be helpful for people to consider how much their lives are influenced by LGBT brothers and sisters and community and folks. So like, like, I just think that we don't realize that like the tapestry of our lives is really attached mm-hmm. to our, to our, to our queer brothers and sisters and community folks. So like, so I just would love to know what you, I mean, privileging you, Brooke, like what, what do you think are places that people can start this healing process really? Cause that's what it really is. It's like a healing to really reconcile yourself to a larger community of people that we that we hate for no reason i think i think the biggest thing is i because what i hear so often is like you know all of a sudden we have all these people identifying under the queer umbrella and it's like well where did all these people come from and this is such a new thing no it's not so i so my suggestion is to actually look at history and i love what liliana brought up earlier um, talking about um, indigenous populations because a lot of indigenous populations already had language that they used for folks who identified under the queer umbrella. So it is really really just not something that's new. And so so I, I think it's really important to legitimately look at our history and to understand that these identities are not new and every history that we can see within the world we know that queer folks existed i mean when you're talking about the greeks like that was real gay like there was a lot of gay stuff (laughs) and we like pretend like it didn't happen or we pretend like they were like best friends there's an entire island like sappho who had an entire island full of women like what do you think they were doing on that island. Uh, right? That is too, that is, um, um, okay. They were not well, getting pregnant. They were, they were, being, were not they, getting pregnant. They were waiting on men to they come were being best friends. They were, they were indulging in, in yeah. best friend things. They're, they're gal pals, right? I mean, we have our best Get gal out pals. of here. <laughs> you know, so, so I, think, I think my thing with it um, is to acknowledge the history, acknowledge that it's not new and stop trying to pretend like people had like BFFs that slept in their same bed with them forever. And to be like, oh, well, they're just like cousins. Like, no, they're not. So stop <laughs> doing that. Um, acknowledge the queerness, acknowledge the history is my suggestion. I think that's dope. That's, I don't know. I don't know if I could, if I could add anything to that. I kind of like, <laughs> I, I always think about the arts. And so my, my thing is, I think it's important for people to read, read and read and read. Cause I, I just don't like dumb people in my world. Um, but like, so I would argue that there are amazing books. I think anything you read by Jimmy Baldwin, James Baldwin is going to give you um, some words, some language. I think reading Audre Lorde, um, I think reading Brother Out of UVA, Ashan, um, who has written on um, Black Pentecostals, but also LGBT um, communities. 
um, is awesome. I think there are queer theologians, if you're struggling with how you make sense of spirituality and sexuality, I think there are some queer theologians that are amazing to check out. I think everybody should see Moonlight. I think uh, everybody should go on Oprah and look at David Makes Man, um, which also deals with kind of, which also looks at childhood trauma in poor Black communities and how um, LGBT uh, brothers and sisters and queer folk in general live and how they come of, come of age. Um, I think in Florida, which I think is a, it's a beautiful story. I think we talk, we talked about it in our circle quite a bit about Queer Eye, um, but Queer Eye does a beautiful job of creating space for humanity. Um, and so it's an easy piece. I would actually, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming maybe Brooke would say the same thing check out Pose, but like back off your fetishes, your fetishizing of drag. Mm -hmm. Like back off of that and think about the interiors of people's lives through yeah. the narratives, through these stories and, and actually how much they look like your life. So, <laughs> but, but I know I, I have my own things about like in the, like when I, when we're putting on programming, I actually don't want to, disintegrate into the Ankh-Rite or the Kente Tea Party. I, I know that like, I you know, everybody expects the, us to have a drum and everything. So I do think like they're, you know, thinking about the stereotypes that you bring and trying to dismantle those one by one, just one by one. And you know, I have mixed feelings on drag, right? I mean, <laughs> I will, I'll, just throw, I'll just throw this out there like super quick. Um, drag has a really strong, important history within the queer community. Um, but there are lines that get crossed and drag is, while can be for entertainment, um, queer folks are not here to entertain straight people. So bloop, bloop, bloop. Um, I think it's just really important that as we program and as other folks program, and if you use drag in your programming, that's, that's fine, but we need to be really intentional about the way that we're doing it um, and making sure that we're doing it in a way that um, accurately and properly reflects and celebrates the history and doesn't fetishize or put it, put out there to be like a spectacle. Well, I guess you ended, Brooke, with your... <laughs> Do not make people a spectacle. That's what she said. That's the shouting emoji. Just so you know, it was my shouting emoji. It was like a, a virtual sonic version of the shouting emoji. So. <laughs> Brooke, do you want to leave us with anything or Manny? I, I, who's running the show? I don't even know who's running this particular set of shows. Manny's, Manny's running the show. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that has been at the intersections uh, this month's episode. Thank you all for being a part of it. Um, this has been great. Again, we're finishing up celebrating Latinx Heritage Month as well as LGBT uh, History Month. Our next episode will be called The Perfect Friendsgiving. So our Thanksgiving Friendsgiving episode. So get it. I'm excited for that. Depending on when we do it, I might be a little bit bloated because I just finished Thanksgiving. Uh, mm -hmm. that's, like, that's like my favorite holiday, excluding the, the pilgrims and the, the natives and all that, that whole storyline. But we, we can get into all that. But just, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, all right, another quick detour. Yeah, I wasn't, I'm not about that. We're giving thanks. Not thankful for that. 
But anyway, <laughs> that will be our next episode. Just say no to colonizers, is that? Oh, oh that, you know, next episode might be more complicated than we've imagined. We're going to dig into that. And uh, you know, Liliana, y'all can't see, but she had a shirt that said decolonize. So I think yep. we're going to decolonize for Thanksgiving. So that'll, that'll, be, that'll be fun. Ooh, uh, can it be decolonized? See? Oh. Y'all got y'all got y'all got to tune in. You got to tune in to find out. Same bad time, same bad station. So, I'm Annie. I'm Sean. I'm Adele. And I'm Brooke. And we're at the intersection. Peace. You've been listening to At the Intersection, a collaborative podcast between the Upperman African American Cultural Center, the Moen Schultz LGBTQIA Resource Office, and Centro Hispano. Upperman, the Mo, and Centro are all located under the UNCW Office of Institutional Diversity and Inclusion, known as OIDI. To find out more about OIDI, visit uncw.edu diversity.